bless you. Well, that was a good hymn, wasn't it? You know, I've said this many times, maybe even here, but if all you did was gather here sometime and uh, sing some good selected hymns from your hymn book and have a dismissal prayer and go home, you would have had some theology. Those hymns are loaded with it, aren't they? And, that, and they should be. I don't have a bit of use of that 7-11 stuff. That's seven words 11 times. <laughs> I like the hymns. I love the hymns. You ever heard a Muslim hymn? <laughs> they don't have any hymns. They do some chanting. They don't have any hymns mainly because they don't have hymn. Amen. We have hymn. I want you to open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. There are six verses there. And I'm going to read those after which we will bow our heads and pray and ask God's blessing on the reading of his word. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth where the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. With that, I want us to bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the goings on already here this morning, the splendid fellowship we've enjoyed with these people, and the good fellowship and the good selection of the hymn that we've been able to sing together that reminded us about our Savior. And I pray that you'll bless the lesson, breathe on it, I pray. Help me say some things this morning but so fix themselves in our hearts that would improve the quality of our Christianity, cause us to better resemble Jesus than before. And if you'll do that, I'll praise you for it now and give you the glory for it now. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject, the blessed life. And by way of introduction, I want to emphasize the definition, the word, one word here. Uh, uh, matter of fact, blessed is the first word. Blessed is the man. Uh, have you ever noticed that Psalms has 150 divisions? And the very first word in that entire 150 division book is blessed. And the reason I emphasize that is because it's found 49 times in this, in this book. And, and in most cases, if not all cases, it means this, happy and prosperous. By the Lord's definition, not by the world's idea, but by the Lord's definition. We're talking about the blessed life. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counseling. Blessed, happy, and prosperous is the man. Anyway, the Bible said in Joshua 1, 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. May I emphasize this morning, folks, that the principles of progress and the secrets of success come from God's book. Not from the world, it comes from God's book. And this book has the principles of progress and secrets of success. I like what the Bible said in Proverbs 22 and verse 4, when it said, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Brother, who doesn't want that? By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And by the way, God doesn't always... Um, Describe riches as dollars and cents, like most people do. Uh, what is it, Proverbs 13, 7? There is that make themselves rich, yet hath nothing. There is that make themselves poor, yet hath great riches. And God said there's some wealthy people that don't have any money to make. There are a lot of people who have money to make, they're not, and they're poor. And I thank God. You know, God's been right every time so far, and I want to stick with Him, aren't you? 
But there's several facts I want to give you in preparation for the lesson this morning. And if you want to make a note on these, you're welcome to do so. Uh, fact, fact number one is this. All of us want to be happy or blessed, prosperous. All of us want that. You know, the world's ideas are a dead-end street. Whatever turns you on, do it. If it feels good, do it. It's all temporary stuff. It's a dead-end street. The Bible said in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Let thine heart cheer thee all the days of thine, thine youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou, but know thou, that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. That reminds me of Ecclesiastes, uh, where the Bible said in, in 12, 13, now let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. Um, might as well live a God-fearing life, folks, because we're going to have to face our life after this life's over. We're going to have to face God. We're going to have to answer to God for our conduct. Fact number one is, we all want to be happy and prosperous. Fact number two is this, only Christians can be happy. Now that, that's, that's a forceful statement, folks. And, uh, but it's straight to the point. Only Christians can be happy. There's nothing ambiguous about that statement. The world can't be happy. The Bible makes that so clear. The Bible said in Psalm 146, verse 5 and 6, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth the sea and all that in them is. Who is happy? The man that has God as the Lord of their life, as the Lord is the God of their life. The Bible said in Psalm 16, 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand. Our pleasures evermore. Now all these verses are emphasizing one thing. If you really want to have the good life, you might as well get your attention on God and keep your eyes on Jesus and live what, the way Jesus tells us to live. And if you don't do that, you're not going to have a full life. You're not going to have a good life. It's not out there. It's not available. Here's another fact. Happiness is not an achievable goal. And that's a mouthful, isn't it? Happiness is not an achievable goal. If your goal is happiness, you'll never be happy one day the rest of your life. It is not an achievable goal. Now, I have some more to say about that, of course, but I don't know if you've noticed this or not, like I have in preparation for the lesson, but the word happy is found 28 times in the Bible. Pleasure is only found 61. By the way, pleasure usually is in a negative context. Not every case, but usually, as, um, as in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. But uh, happiness is not an achievable goal. Now, here's another fact. Uh, fact number four, happiness is a result of an unselfish surrender to Christ. Happiness is not a goal. It's not an achievable goal. It is a result of something. If the goal is happiness, you'll never be happy. But if you do what God says to do, happiness results. From Happiness results. Uh, the Bible said in Psalm 140, verse 15, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Well, that's clear enough, isn't it? Uh, why don't people accept that and buy into it? They still have the idea that I'll achieve my own happiness. And God said it's a dead end street. You're not going to make it. you never make it. I like what the Bible said in Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now that, you know, the word worry is not in our Bible, folks. Care is somewhat of a synonym. Be careful for nothing. What he's really saying is don't worry about a thing. Isn't that 
kind of what the Bible said in John 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Or verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be. God does not want us to live with a troubled, worrisome heart. The truth is, if you're following Jesus, you don't have to. Because our lives are in His hands. And He's directing our lives. And uh, my wife and I, between my wife and I, she's the worry wart and she knows it. And uh, if I want her to know all this stuff, I'll tell her, by the way. But uh, she, one day I told my wife, I said, honey, I want you to stay home today and worry about this all day long. And she refused to do it. <laughs> Here's another fact. Fact number five. God is more interested in holiness than he is happiness. Now, how many times did I say that the uh, word happy is found in the Bible? Better remember that. How many? That's 28. 28. I was just checking to see if you're listening. <laughs> 28 times. Would you like to make, who would like to guess how many times holy in all its tenses is found in the Bible? Somebody make a guess. Now, don't be wild about it, but just make a sensible guess. Somebody make a guess. Who said that? 65. Okay, 365. Somebody else make a guess. 150, okay. Somebody else. 500. Are you ready for this? 654 times. 28 times for happiness and its tenses. 654 times for holiness and its tenses. Doesn't, hasn't God made his point? <laughs> my, my. Here's another fact. The way to happiness is holiness. The Bible said in 1 Peter 1.15, But as he which hath called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. By the way, the word conversation in the New Testament is not limited to communication. It involves conduct. It involves all of you. Conduct as well as communication. But he said, As he which hath called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. All of your conduct. Let it permeate your entire life. Um, see, the way to happiness is holiness. And I'll put it like this. If your goal is happiness, you'll never be happy or holy. However, if your goal is holiness, you'll be both holy and happy. If you want to be happy, folks, the route is holiness. Now, the world wouldn't buy into that at all. They wouldn't believe it. Nevertheless, it is true. Number seven is this. The world can never be happy. I said that while I go didn't it. The only people that can be happy are Christians. The world can never be happy. Now, they, they don't want to hear that, folks. These people do not want to hear that, but it is the truth. They're trying to be happy. You know what they're doing today? They're going to the river. They're going to the beaches. They're going to the races. Uh, they're laying up in bed. They're doing a lot of stuff today trying to get what you and I have. Uh, they're not trying to find Jesus. They're trying to find that inner peace, that, that whatever satisfies and addresses that inner man. They're not going to find it. It's not out there. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 said, The wicked elect the troubled sea when he cannot rest. Whose waters cast up mire and dirt, there is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. What did I say a while ago? God has been right every time so far. And I'm going to stick with him, aren't you? God said they're not going to find it. You know what Paul said in Romans 3, 17? The way of peace they know not. The way that this world does not know the way to peace. They're looking for it. They talk about it. They write about it. You buy a newspaper today, it's going to be in that newspaper numerous times. But they don't experience it. And they never will until they come to Jesus. Now for the message, having said that, I'm going to emphasize several things. Involved in being blessed. 
What did I say that means? What does blessed mean? Happy and what? And prosperous. By the Lord's estimation. By the Lord's estimation. Now, one of the reasons he's blessed is, blessed is he who gets his counsel from God, the very first statement in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, the first statement in the entire book, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what we're going to have to do, folks? We're going to have to face the fact that we're going to have to stop getting our information, our counsel from out there. You may as well stop that because it's not helping you. Um, I said, it's a dead end street. It is a dead end street. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Need I say more? Amen. I'm just telling you what God said. There are three things that characterize his life, to be more specific. First of all, he refuses the world's counsel. That's where we start, folks. Number one, we refuse the world's ideas on how to conduct our lives. How to conduct our life individually. How to run a marriage. How to rear children. Uh, how to conduct ourselves in the world. First of all, you refuse that. If you want to have a good life, you have to refuse that. And secondly, he relies on the counsel of God. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law they meditate dead night. Now, when I say that, I know there are a lot of Christians that sit in a congregation and their first thought is this, is this. I don't know why, but I don't delight in the Word of God. Now, a lot of Christians don't. And by the way, I'll tell you something, not, not to be hateful to you, but that is your fault. You know why? Colossians 3, 2 said, set your affections, meaning you're in charge of them. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. But it means you're in charge of your affections. Your affections are where you've left them by default or placed them right now. A lot of people go to church on Sunday morning. The only scripture they read for the whole week is the text the pastor asked them to turn to before he preaches. When they finish that, they close their Bible, lay it down, take it home, pick it up next Sunday morning. But on the way home, perhaps, conceivable, by a large Sunday newspaper. And they spend several hours in the afternoon perusing that newspaper. You know why they do that? That's where their affections are. You know why people don't read their Bible? Their affections are not there. And I, I'm, I'm talking to some here this morning without a doubt and without knowing anything about your life. Where you, The only time you ever read your Bible maybe is a, a verse in the morning or a short devotion or even if you do that. There are families that have no devotion with their children. Listen, folks, uh, those kids are eternal. They have eternal lives. They're going to go spend eternity somewhere. And what you do with them in the home as far as having devotion is going to have a lot to do with which direction they go with their life. And I could talk some more on that. That's not what I'm up here for this morning. But he relies on the counsel of God. May I say to you that the Word of God counsels us on our personal life. <laughs> the Bible said in Psalm 119 verse 24, Thy testimony is awesome and delight, and my counselors. You know, if you can say that, you're a good Christian. If you can say the Word of God, I go by what the Bible says. The Word of God is my counselor. I conduct my life based on what the Word of God has said. You're a wise person if you do that, by the way. Uh, the mistakes we make is we know what the Bible said and we don't do it. 
And uh, sometimes we're all guilty of that, I'm sure. But the Word of God counsels us. It counsels us on marriage. Did you know that? Um, matter of fact, it talks about attaining marriage and maintaining marriage. Well, that maintaining marriage is a big thing these days. It's easy enough to attain marriage. But I'm going to tell you, you're really into a, a lifelong um, task of maintaining marriage. And there's a lot of scripture comes into focus. The Bible says in Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. By the way, it was leave and cleave. And there's some cleaving going on in marriage, folks. <laughs> uh, because we're all human. We all have a human nature. And we're not a bunch of clones. We don't see everything alike. Matter of fact, there are no clones in this building this morning. If I were to do a survey here today, I have an idea that every single one of us uh, like different colors or shades of color. Probably there's not two people in here that would identify exactly the same on all of that. You know why? Because we're not the same. Well, I'd like to take off on that for a while, but it wouldn't have anything to do with my point here. How to maintain marriage or attain marriage rather. By the way, did you notice God said a, a man goes out and acquires a wife? He didn't say a young woman did that. And for the young lady's benefit, I'll say this. Uh, you, you shouldn't call that boy on the phone. You should not pursue him at all because every time you do that, you reduce his ability to appreciate and respect you. You know what a young man wants? He wants the one he's having to run after. Amen? You must say amen to that. He wants the one he has to chase. And I'll tell you, the long and the short of that is this. <laughs> he chases that young lady until she catches him. It's kind of a crooked thing, you know. It's a scheme. Oh, my. Uh, you say, how do you know? I have been up that road. <laughs> and lots of you have. Anyway, uh, therefore shall a young man cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. They should be one flesh. And uh, here's something else, how to maintain marriage. The Bible, if you were to go to Ephesians chapter 5, you'd find some instruction on that. Ephesians 5, 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Now, you know the parallel truths there about Christ and the church and husband and wife. You remember those truths, parallel. Um, the truth is, fellas, sometimes the wife is right. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not as often as she thinks. <laughs> we don't want this to get out of hand, amen. Sometimes the wife is right. Now, I may have told you sometime or other in this pulpit since I've been here, this is my 18th trip here. I might have told you this, but I read about this guy and his wife was driving down the interstate and she's sitting over here knitting and he's driving and she just casually said, honey, you've taken the wrong route. Didn't even look up, you know. And he looked over toward her and informed her, I have been driving nearly all my life. I know how to drive and I know how to read a road map. You tend to the knitting, I'll tend to the driving. On down the road, he goes, so he got down the road a little bit and realized she was right. So that was bad enough. But he said, I drove 25 more miles trying to get turned around without her knowing it. <laughs> you know, women will ask directions. If my wife was here, she'd, she'd be the loudest amen out there. <laughs> oh, my. But the Bible said in Ephesians 5.21, to husbands and wives. Submitting yourselves one to another. You know, have you ever noticed that all the instructions God gave about marriage are assuming 
that the couple are Christians. You ever notice that? That's why when a couple goes to a pastor for counsel, one of the first things he does is interrogate them as to whether you know Christ or not. And a lot of times you'll get a profession of faith out of the young man because he doesn't want this marriage to go. He wants his marriage. See, he wants to go through this. So he'll make a profession of faith. They doesn't really mean it. A lot of times that happens, folks. It never shows up at church again. But anyway, uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Listen, ladies, that's still in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you something. The flesh doesn't like that verse. But it's necessary. You know why? God has placed an authority wherever human nature is in order to avoid chaos, anarchy, and war. <laughs> Amen. And uh, for instance, um, uh, down at the job site, it's the boss. So you couldn't have a successful operation at a large plant with a thousand employees unless there's someone there that calls the shots and makes the final decision about what we're doing. Because if all of a sudden there was no one in charge, production would go to zero or drop so much that the, paint, uh, the plant would go bankrupt and a thousand people lose their jobs. Somebody has to have the final word in chart a course. At the, um, on the interstate, it's the guy with the blue light. You've heard of him. I was out in New Mexico just a few days ago and I pulled up to the stop sign and there was nobody coming. And, and it's, it's a small town there's, it, it, and there's no problem here. I just kind of eased on out in the road and didn't stop. Blue. Blue light comes on just like that. First time I've gotten one in a long time. I told that guy, I said, listen, I, have, I haven't had a speeding ticket in, in 35 years. Didn't mean a thing to him. He's writing with his pen, you know. And uh, when they get ready to write you a ticket, there's not much you can say. I heard about this young lady that got pulled over, a beautiful young lady, and trooper came up and got her license, got all the information, and starts writing a ticket. She said, well, I didn't think state troopers gave beautiful young women a ticket. He said, we don't. Sign here. <laughs> Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You know why that's there? Because there has to be an authority that makes the final decision. When, uh, when a couple are not in agreement, God has appointed someone to make the final decision. And, uh, and you know what? Having the, the, the place of making the final decision, let me emphasize this, is not a privilege. It is an awesome responsibility. You know Why? Even though some young men don't know this, the young husband is supposed to make the decision with the welfare of his wife and children in mind, not his. The problem comes in when he makes the final decision with his interests. It doesn't take a very, very smart wife to realize that's not going to fly, you know. And it doesn't take a very smart wife to realize that my husband makes the decision with my interest in her. And what she's thinking is, I don't want that interrupted. <laughs> I want that to stay that way. But in Ephesians 5.25, the Bible said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Have you ever noticed in this context, God did not tell the wife to love her husband? Now, he does elsewhere. But he tells the husband directly and indirectly four times. And I think it's for this reason. See, the husband, a wife is not a husband's security, but a husband is a wife's security. 
God set it up that way. Genesis 3, 16, and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. In other words, he's going to be in charge of you and he's going to be responsible for you. That's the way that is. A wife is more, has more of a tendency to be submitted to her husband and rely upon her husband because he is her security, but she isn't his. He has his job, his golf, his fishing, his hunting that he can spread his affections over. And, uh, and maybe something else. Uh, it's easier for a man to get so caught up in his career or in something else, for that matter, that he neglects his wife. But the wives normally don't have that problem. And so it's like very terse terminology in verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. I'm telling you to love your wife. Uh, by the way, that is supposed to be expressed by declaration and demonstration. You have to tell those wives you love them because they have a short memory. Am I telling you the truth? Amen, fellas. I mean, first thing in the morning, second thing in the morning, third thing in the morning. If you don't tell them, they're going to ask you. Honey, <laughs> do you still love me? Well, of course I do. I just told you a while ago. Yeah, but you just don't sound like it here lately. <laughs> anyway, uh, see, the Word of God teaches us how to attain marriage and how to maintain marriage. And I'll tell you, folks, it's really a sad truth today. For clean young ladies and clean young men, there's, there's not, there are not a lot of good prospects out there for a bride or a, a groom. I'm telling you, you think about spending your life with someone, they're going to have to meet some qualifications, amen? <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't do much matchmaking, folks. I told, uh, I told one preacher, his, uh, one of the members of the church, this man's family, he had a daughter named Dawn. She was about 20 years old, and she wanted to marry a preacher, boy, but there wasn't one in that area, period. And he followed me out the car once, and I was getting ready to leave from a meeting there, and he had tears in his eyes. I said, do you know anybody you can, can maybe suggest that my daughter could meet? She wants to marry a preacher, boy. And, and I said, well, I'll sure pray about that, and had no idea that I'd know anyone. But anyway, this young man down in Pennsylvania, a uh, clean young man, he's a preacher boy. I called the pastor up. I said, preacher, uh, I told him what the situation was. I said, uh, why don't you have this young man come over to preach for you one weekend and look him over real good. And if you decide to introduce him to that young lady, I'm having nothing to do with it. <laughs> he did, and they got married. They have two grown children now. And I, I, by the way, I, I have one or two more of those I could tell you, but I don't need to take the time. Anyway, one of them is coming up on the 1st of September. This preacher's daughter in her 20s, never dated, clean as a pen. This preacher's son in his 20s, never dated, clean as a pen. I introduced them. I got a text a few days ago said, she said yes. <laughs> so they're getting married in September, but I can't be there. I told him, I said, you can put it off another year and I'll try to make it. He said, we're going through with our original plans. <laughs> anyway, where was I before you interrupted me? See, the Word of God counsels us on child-rearing. That is desperately needed today, folks. One of my newest books out there is Bible Truth on the Home. And uh, it talks about uh, acquiring marriage, excuse me, attaining marriage, maintaining marriage. It also talks about parental responsibility in the matter of child-rearing. And uh, it's mostly from the book of Proverbs. And I'll tell you, if you have children growing up, you need that book. 
Not because I wrote it, but because the information comes out of the Bible. You need that. People, people forget this kind of stuff. And uh, so when they get their counsel from out there, the world doesn't know how to rear children. You can tell that, but what's happening out in the world today? Let me give you some verses. Proverbs 13, 24, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. He that spareth his rod hateth... That's mighty strong and terse terminology, folks. Do you know what God's doing? He's dramatizing the importance of not loving your personal feelings, but, but correcting your child for your child's benefit. Here's what I'm saying in a different way. Uh, I've heard people say, I just can't stand to spank my little girl. It hurts me so bad. You know what they're saying? I regard my feelings higher than the welfare of my little girl or my little boy. No parent enjoys chastening their children, folks. I mean, if you enjoy chasing your children, there's something wrong with you. No, no child enjoys that. I always told my kids, I had two, a son and a daughter. I said, uh, before we go through with that stuff, I'd take quite a little while. We'd talk about this and, and, uh, and maybe shed some tears over it. And I said, I love you. And that's the reason why I'm going to do this. And my daughter got grown. She said, Dad, Ken and I wouldn't have mind if you hadn't loved us quite as much as you did back there. <laughs> but anyway, he that spreadeth his rod hateth the son. But he that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. By the way, if you ever notice this, every time God mentions chastening children, if gender's in the picture, it's the male, not the female. You ever notice that? Now, that doesn't mean a mother can't chasten her child, but it means that's father's responsibility. Now, I thank God for a mother that has enough fortitude to chasten her children when she has a husband that has a wet noodle for a backbone and he won't do it. Sometimes it's necessary, but it's still his responsibility. And, uh, and the wives are not as much adapted for that as men are. But in verse 18 of chapter 19, correct thy son while there's hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. You don't wait till they get half grown to start getting, correcting them. Now, if you wait till they get 16, 17 years old, you've got a rebel on your hands and you're not going to correct it. Amen. Proverbs 22, 30, the blueness of wound cleanseth the way evil, so does stripes the inner parts of the belly. Um, you know, if there's no pain, there's no gain. Uh, this business of time out, there's no scripture for that. And I'm going to tell you, my dad never knew anything about that. So, well, I swatted him with a newspaper. That's not it either. The Bible talks about stripes. The blueness of a wound cleanses the way evil, so do stripes, the inward parts of the body. Is there anyone here that knows anything about stripes? Look at me. I do. My dad knew, boy, he knew about the stripe business. He didn't use the newspaper when he chased me and my brother, one of my brothers at least, Glenn, most contrary kid you ever met in your life. He and I, he got he and I in more trouble, and it was always his fault. I explained that to my daddy, and he never bought it. Boys, I'm going to whip you after supper. <laughs> Man, you're talking about plowing a straight row the rest of the day. But the blueness of wound cleanses the way evil, so does traps the inner parts of the belly. Uh, the government and the world today thinks it's, um, it's terrible for you to spank your child. By the way, you better not do it out in public. There's some people who had to face a judge many, many times. Many, many people had to face a judge because they swatted their child out in public and some stupid liberal saw it and called the law. 
They're the ones that ought to got the whipping, amen. But don't do that. It's very unwise. I was in a restaurant with a preacher down in Boston, or over in Boston, and his son uh, and had his little boy there, and we're, we're sitting down. He walks up to the table, and he takes this boy, and he pitches him up in the air and catches him and pitches him up in the air and catches him. This whole restaurant full of people. I said, you better cut that out. Somebody's going to call the law on you. Now, I don't know whether they did or not, but his potential was there. The blueness of wound cleanses the way evil, so does stripes to end parts of the belly. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, will not depart from it. That verse is as true as John 3, 16 is true. Let me give you three things that emanate from that. Number one, parents are responsible for instruction. Not the government school. The government school is the brainchild of a satanic, Satan-worshipping genius called Karl Marx. It's the 10th plank in the Communist Manifesto. It is not there for the welfare of the children. It's there to brainwash those children, make a socialist out of them. And they're doing a good job at it. If you have your kids in government school, my recommendation is get them out now. Because they're getting brainwashed. Anyway, you tried to get me off my subject, didn't you? <laughs> the parents are responsible for instruction. Let me tell you something else they're responsible for. Example. And here's something else. Enforcement. You see, the parents are responsible to teach that child right, to live right in front of them, exemplify what they're teaching and also to enforce what they're teaching because the children are children. They're not adults. You have to enforce it. You can't just tell kids to make good decisions and leave it with them. You can't do that. Now, I am for when a child is growing and gets some years behind him and he makes a good decision or she, brag on them and encourage them in that. But you better stand by to, to veto some bad ones because they're not adults yet. They don't have the benefit of life's experiences and wisdom, and so forth. So I want to let my kids make the, their own decisions about church. You are very naive. Matter of fact, I, I could use another word there, but my wife might hear about it. And she'd remind me, you don't use the word dumb in the pulpit, honey. So I'm not going to use that word. <laughs> That's it. Oh, my. Uh, listen, if you're going to be a good parent, you better, you better get your Bible out and go by what the Bible says. Preacher out in the Midwest, he has four, had four little boys at that time, and uh, kind of like doorsteps, four nice little boys, cute little boys, courteous, kind, respectful. He said, what, what can I do with my boys? He said, how am I going to raise these boys? I said, read the book of Proverbs and do what it says. See, God knows what human nature is all about. He wrote a book about it, Amen. You know what this Bible is? It's a manual for the operation of this very complex thing we're doing called living. There is, listen, you never have to go outside the Bible to find answers to life's questions. Never, never. Nobody has a book that supersedes God's book. Now I have some good books out there and there are a lot of good books, but they're not good unless the information came from God's book. Anyway, Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction is right. One of the points in that book I've written about on the home back there is every child has a human nature. Even your grandchildren. Now, I know you're surprised about this, but your grandchildren have a human nature. 
Amen. Right. <laughs> um, now, mine doesn't. My grandchild. <laughs> no, she has human nature. You know that my son and his wife didn't have children for 19 years, and they adopted this little girl. Matter of fact, the first time she went to church was here. She's about to turn 18 years old. But my wife and I kind of kept her fingers crossed like this. We're hoping they'd get one that doesn't have a human nature. Do I have to tell you they didn't? <laughs> oh, my. Those grandkids are precious, aren't they? But anyway, enough foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Any child. I don't care what you think about your kids or grandkids. They still have a human nature. And you have to deal with it. Uh, here's something else. Proverbs 23, 13. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shall deliver his soul from hell. Now, the world would not buy that at all. They would think that's one of the worst things you could ever think about. But God said it's necessary. Let me tell you something that's not fair. It is not fair for a Christian couple to bring children into this world and let them grow up and become little rebels and die young. And by the way, most rebellious kids die younger than they would. It's not fair for them to raise their children and let them become little devils and the kids die and go to hell and the parents die and go to heaven. Did you get that? that is, by the way, that happens. That happens in good churches. I mean, a couple has children. They won't restrain their children. They won't correct their children. They won't raise their children like God said to raise them. And the kids become rebels and they die early and go to hell and the parents go to heaven. That is not fair. Anyway, Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give correction, but a child left him, or give wisdom rather, but a child left to himself bringing his mother to shame. And, and listen, God will hold children responsible for obeying their parents. Did you know that? But he's going to hold the parents responsible for not insisting on it. What's that verse say in Ephesians 6, 1? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, with the, which is the first command we're promised that it might be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. The word of God counsels us even on how to run a nation. Well, we have some people that need to know about that. Amen. <laughs> Proverbs 8, 15, the Bible said, by many kings reign and princes decree justice. Verse 16, by many princes rule and nobles, even all the judges. Of the earth. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a president that had the Bible out every morning? He's trying to gain some wisdom on how to lead this nation. By the way, if people in America love God, we'd probably have a president like that. You know what we're getting in America? We're getting what America deserves, collectively speaking. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about collectively speaking. America has murdered 10 times more than Adolf Hitler has of our most innocent ones. You think God's looking the other way? I just read this this morning, 2 Kings 24 and verse 4, Manasseh, the mass murderer of Judah, filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon, the Bible said. Also for the innocent blood that he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Do you know why God spared and gave Judah a, rep a reprieve of judgment under Josiah? It was because Josiah had a heart for God. And as soon as Josiah was off the throne, God said, judgment resumes now. He didn't say, I'm going to cancel judgment. He said, I'm just going to hold it off while you're on the throne. And it came, folks. Judah went into captivity just like Israel did. But notice something else about this man. He relishes the word of God. 
He delights, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. You know what delight is? It is a high degree of pleasure or enjoyment. So preacher, I'm just, I'm not there, preacher. I, am, I just don't enjoy the Bible that much. You need to work on that. Uh, you, need to, you need to read your Bible until it just becomes part of you. And, uh, and you just can't go a day without reading the Word of God. Well, I remember when I first took, I was uh, about 21 years old. I took my first church and I was having to work a job too. And they called it a part-time church and a full-time job. Turns out it was a full-time church and a full-time job. But back then, I could read my Bible till about 1 o'clock and get up about 5.30 or 6 and drive 50 miles to work. Uh, do I have to tell you I can't do that now? <laughs> I could then. But you know what? I'd be reading in that Old Testament, and I'm telling you about 12, 30, 1 o'clock, I'm right in there with those guys. It was so real. And it can be that way with everybody. <laughs> His delight. The Bible said in Psalm 19, verse 97, Oh, how I love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now that man loves God and the Word of God, folks. The man that said that. So preacher, I wish I was there. You can be there. God doesn't have any favorites. Um, you can be there. Verse 3 of our text. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his seeds, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever doeth shall prosper. I like Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Let me ask you a question. Ask yourself this, do I really relish the Word of God? Is it my delight? See, if it isn't, you have some work to do. You need to cultivate that. You need to get to the place you'd rather read your Bible as any book. There are a lot of Christian women that have read most of the novels that are on the market out there. I've never read one novel. I have no idea. I have no intention of reading a novel. I don't have time to waste on anything that's dead wood. Amen. Spend some time in the Bible. Colossians 3, 2 said, Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Set your affection on the Word of God and read it until it just, you just have to read it. I just have to have some more of the Word of God. Anyway, here's another one. Blessed is he whose sin is forgiven. The word blessed means what? Happy and prosperous. Happy and prosperous is he whose sin is forgiven. Psalm 33 and uh, 32 and verse 1 said this, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord will imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no guile. You know, the word impute means to charge with something. Uh, you know, you probably know this, there are three main imputations in the Bible. One is Adam's sin is charged to us. Now, that's nothing to be encouraged about. But I was encouraged when I heard that my sin has been charged to Christ. And I was thrilled when I learned that his righteousness has been charged to me. The word charge means to charge something to someone that they don't deserve or haven't earned. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin is so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 5.19, For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. 
Adam's sins imputed to us, our sins imputed to Christ, and his righteousness imputed to us. The only righteousness you have that God's impressed with is the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to you. Isaiah 64, 6 said, All our righteousness are as filthy rags. We all do fade as leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We don't have anything to offer. Thank God that God foresaw our need. Amen. Made arrangements to have the righteousness of Christ. I tell you, the first Adam got us into real trouble. Amen. All the aches and pains you've ever had in your life, whether it's physical, emotional, whatever, is there because sin got in the bloodstream of mankind. And you know whose fault that was? That was Adam and Eve. I've often thought, preacher, that when I get to heaven, I'm going to look that couple up. I have something I want to talk to them about. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever tried to imagine what it would be like when you get to heaven and meet Adam and Eve? It's going to be kind of hard to smile, amen. <laughs> oh, my. I heard that um, Adam was uh, kind of staying out later each day and getting home later. And You know how wives are. She's keeping up with that. One day she broached the subject. She said, Adam, is there someone else? He said, no, honey, you are the only one. She pretended to accept that until he went to sleep that night. And after he went to sleep, she very carefully counted his ribs again. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was preaching at a church somewhere and I was teasing about Adam and Eve. And, and uh, I, remember, I don't remember what all I said about just teasing, cutting up and after the service, this woman came up to the book table back there, and she was a pretty hefty person. I mean, she was tall as I am and a, and a big lady. She came right up to me. She said, well, I'm going to tell you what happened back there. Boy, you're listening when people do that. She said, everybody thought God took a rib from Adam and Eve. He said, she, that's not what happened. He took Adam's backbone, and man hasn't had one since. <laughs> and I decided right away that she got it. <laughs> But our sin has been imputed to Christ. Thank God. Galatians 1, 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Galatians 3, 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon the tree. He took that from us, took it upon himself. And his righteousness was imputed to us. A man covers sin. You're familiar with this verse, aren't you? Matthew 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh him shall have mercy. Now here's, the, let me give some theology on that. You cover it, God uncovers it. Wait, wait a minute. You uncover it, God covers it. Which is better? Isn't it better if you'd uncover it before God and him to cover it? He loves to cover it, amen. <laughs> anyway, the Bible said in 1 John 1, 9, if we... Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's something else. Blessed is he who walks by faith in Psalm chapter 2, verse 12. Blessed, happy, and prosperous are all they that put their trust in him. If you want to have peace in a, in a troubling situation, you better put your faith and trust in God. Give it to him. He does not want you to live a troubled life. I remind you, you're already of these verses like um, John 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace give unto you, not as the world giveth, give unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. You think about that. See, Americans by and large do not live by faith. But we should. And according to the Bible, we can. You can live by faith. I know a preacher that's been a, been a pastor for most of his life in North Alabama. And uh, he has his own home and it's paid for, probably has been for many years. But he said, we live by faith. He said, right now, and, and, the, and they're in their 80s. He said, we have 300 and something dollars in our bank account. But he said, God meets all of our needs. You have to live by faith in this world to be able to say that, folks. God knows how much money in the bank you have in the bank. He knows how much you need in the bank. And the last I heard, God's not having any problem with money. Amen. We do. You know, Americans are confident and at peace and at rest when the cupboard is full of groceries and the car is full of gasoline and uh, the bills are paid and all of that kind of stuff. We're too materialistic. I don't know. When am I supposed to quit? Five minutes ago? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I take back all I said since then. <laughs> Anyway, I could go on with this. I'm not near finished with it. But you've been a good audience and I appreciate it. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God that the instruction manual for life that answers all of man's questions, all of life's questions rather. I pray you'll bless the service following this and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.